feels perfect Other days it just ain't working The good, the bad, the right, the wrong And everything in between Yo, it's crazy, amazing We can turn our heart through the words we say Mountains crumble with every syllable Hope can live or die So speak life Um, 
We welcome all questions and comments, even from your little ones. We'd like to hear from the young people tonight. So young daughters, your girls, and parents, be, be patient. Allow them to express themselves. Allow them to get out whatever it is, if they so want to. Allow them to, to get out without judgment, without anger, and all of that, because that is the only way we can find out what is going on and what we can do to, to change any situation. So we welcome um, our young Young girls and boys as well, if you have some young boys listening tonight as well. Um, Rodney, are you there with us? I am here. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's so great to be on again. Um, another Monday, another great topic, another great show ahead of us. So I'm excited to move forward. Um, please don't sit back. I see we have a lot of callers already um, out there. Please don't sit back and be silent tonight. We know that you're probably uh, – going to be listening for different tips, but we also want you to uh, feel free to join the conversation, ask questions, um, and enjoy the show. All right. Well, since we, we are hopeful that we have families listening in tonight, that you have, as we've asked, we, that you've got your family together and you're all listening or you will be listening later to the archive. So what I want to do is just remind, before I bring our guests in, I want to remind you all of our trash can baby because we have those families listening. So what I'd like for you to do, and if you share this with your other friends and family and everybody, just share it. Go back, kids, go back to school and share this as well. What we ask you to do, because we, again, we promote change, we promote transformation, um, and in order to do that, we have to realize that our mind keeps up with even the most smallest insignificant things. So what we ask you to do, is move your trash can. Move your trash can, one that you visit frequently. Move it from one location to another. And what you do from there is monitor how often you return back to its old location. So families, uh, husbands, wife, husband and wife, you can do this as well. If you have no kids, you can do this as well. Make a little chart, put it on the refrigerator, and have everybody and you have to place there. Every time you go back to its old location, you get, you get to go over and you put a mark because that's the number for you. And just see how many, who, who went back the most times and have a discussion about it. What, what does each person get from that? For me, it just helped me to realize that our mind keeps up with the small stuff, and we sometimes just get caught up in routine. We do things because we're used to it. We know it. It's comfortable. As I mentioned earlier, change is uncomfortable. To go against all that you know, how you've been raised, um, what you've seen. So allow this to help you understand how you have to renew your mind, how you ha have to take control over your thoughts. So that's what that is about. We'd like to hear your stories. Come back and share with us um, as a family or individually, what you got out of this and how many times you found yourself going back to the old location. It was so bad for me that I would pass the trash can going to where it was. Um, it got so bad, too, I realized that I knew where my friend's uh, trash can, she moved hers doing the same thing, doing this exercise. She moved it, and I got up and passed where it was to go to where it used to be. So I passed by it. So that just showed not only was I keeping up with my household and where my trash was going, but I was keeping up with her stuff. Another another example how we have to be careful of what we take on and, and what we allow people to feed us. 
not saying you don't listen and be there for people, but sometimes we take on so much. We hear things that does something to us. It affects us. So that's what that that is what that is about. So let's bring our special guest in. Let's see here. Hi, Carrie. Are you there with us? I am. How are you doing, Tammy? We're great. How are you? Can you hear me? We can hear you just I'm doing fine. well. Well, good. We're excited I can. to have you on. Can you hear us okay? I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, tell the audience just a little bit about yourself before we get started. Just tell them who you are, what you do, and, and what brought you to writing um, in this method, this way. Okay, well, I am a mom of four girls. I live in Birmingham, Alabama, as you can probably tell from my accent. Um, and my daughters are ages 12, 10, 8, and 5, so they keep me very busy. And then in my spare time, what spare time I try to find, I'm a writer, and I write. I have a blog on my website. It's com, and I also have a newspaper column and some local papers, and then I just released my first book four months ago, for teen and tween girls called 10 Ultimate Truths Girls Should Know. So I've been writing for parents for about five or six years and then started writing for teen girls about a year ago. So now I write for mostly daughters and mothers. Okay. Um, when did it become clear to you that writing was your passion, that, that writing was your thing, writing was it for you? Well, it's one of those things that, and I think most writers would probably say this, it's one of those things I look back and I realize it's what I always loved and I always had a passion for. And, you know, growing up, I can, you know, I can remember certain times when I would be really upset about something and the first thing I'd want to do was just write. You know, even if I hadn't written in a long time, I would just always have this instinct to write. Um, and so, you know, little things like that, I always loved that. And my dad and my mom, you know, for Mother's Day or Christmas or Father's Day, whatever, they always ask me to write poems and, you know, poetry or whatever, you know, just sweet notes for them. That's what they always asked me to write, you know, always asked as their gift. So I always liked doing that. And then, you know, I worked in public relations in my first job out of college and did a lot of kind of corporate writing and enjoyed that. But um, so really, I guess I look back and I always – liked writing I just never really thought about making a living from it and it really wasn't until I had children and it was when I um it was when I was pregnant with my third daughter actually that I I decided I was going to quit saying that one day I would write a book because I was one of those people who said you know one day I'll write a book kind of like one day I'll run a marathon you know but I never did anything about it and when I was pregnant with my third daughter I just realized that that was really my true passion and I was actually doing photography at the time, and I was getting a little burned out in photography. So I started writing that night, mostly just as an escape and just to kind of try practicing it. And that was eight years ago. So a lot has happened in those eight years. But um, but it's been a great experience, and I just, you know, my one regret is I wish that I'd really started seriously pursuing it earlier in life. But I was about, uh, let's say, 34, 35 years old when I really decided to make that decision to commit to it. Okay, and Rodney is also on, and he is also an author. So, um, from the heart of the teacher is his last book. Rodney, want to say, make sure you say hello and let them know you're hey, there. Hey, this is Rodney. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Rodney? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm also an author. Um, 
Um, I don't have any children of my own, but um, I, I am a school teacher um, full time, and so um, I, I have a great passion when it comes to young people. So I admire what you're doing. I admire your writing. Um, I, I, I would like to know uh, what are some of the things that you've learned, um, either about yourself. Um, as a mom, as a wife, or things that you've learned about uh, life in general uh, as you began writing? What are some of the things that you learned? You know, I I think that the biggest thing I've I've picked up from writing is that you just see, you learn to find meaning in everything in life. And when you're a writer, you know, your mind just works a different way when you're a writer. And I'm sure you understand this as an author. You're just, you're always looking for material and you're always looking for the meaning in, an, in a life experience, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. And so that's probably, I mean, I like to say that my life became a lot more interesting when I started writing because, you know, whether I was upset or happy, whatever emotion I was feeling, I knew that it was something that I could, an emotion I could explore and try to write about. So um, that's probably been the neatest thing for me is just, you know, learning that, you know, nothing in life is a waste and that it's all part of our story. And it's just really neat to try to share your story and I have learned, too, as you probably have, that, you know, sometimes it's the stories that I find that are hardest to share, you know, that are hardest to put out there and get on paper. Those are often the stories that, you know, really touch people the deepest and that really have the greatest potential to help people. So that's what's been really neat for me is that, you know, things that, you know, I used to be so quiet and introverted. And just to be able to just know that I can share my stories and struggles and, you know, it makes my life better because the people it brings into my life when I share my struggles or things that I'm going through, whether it's a challenge with my children or a challenge with my writing or just whatever it is, you know, whenever I share that struggle with somebody, it always brings amazing people back into my life who relate to that. And, you know, as far as getting on the getting to know you scale, you go from a zero to a seven. You know, you already have some important things in common. So that's what I love about it is just the connections you make and how you realize that deep down we all just have those same desires in life and we go through the same struggles and, you know, maybe different ways and different seasons of life. But um, I guess it's just taught me a lot about humanity in general. Absolutely. There's a story within all of us, and I think that uh, oftentimes we are not able to, to bless other people because of our fear. Um, I think fear is the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't we don't know how we're going to be received uh, by others, and, and we tend to right. uh, think in a negative manner. So you know, uh, it's a lot easier to say, "Well, you know, I just won't do I just won't do this because you know people won't listen to me." But we never know what someone on the other on the other end may need from us or may need from our story. Uh, so I think I think what you said is important. Uh, we definitely need to uh, find a way to share our stories, whether it's through writing, whether it's through a song, uh, poetry. We need to find a way to express um, and share our stories. What type of feedback have you received uh, from your writing, from your from your column uh, that you you said that you're doing a couple of columns down in, in uh, Alabama where you are? What type of uh, feedback have you received from your writing? You know, mostly, well, it's interesting because I started writing in my community. I started writing a newspaper column in my community. So it was really fun because I was writing for people that I know. And you you think you know people and you think you've pegged people, and then when you write, you really you realize that a lot of times you peg people wrong. And so you know, when I first started writing, I, 
you know, I'd write a column and I'm thinking, okay, I'm writing it for this person and this person and this person, you know, people I'm friends with and I know we're all on the same page. And then sometimes the emails I would get would be from people that I really didn't know that well. And sometimes I would think I didn't have that much in common with them. And they would send me this really personal story or just open up to me in a way that they never would have otherwise. And that was really neat to see that, you know, wow, you know, that is really neat that we are are so similar and to, um, to make that connection. So I, I would think that that is probably, you know, that's been the, that's been the neatest part is just, you know, knowing that, you know, when you, like I said, when you, when you're honest and when you put your story out there, it just gives other people permission to do that and it lets you get to know them on a totally different level. And it's neat. Um, I don't know. It's just been really neat. It's just helped me, it's helped me look at the world in general, just with different eyes and just see that we all just kind of want the same thing from life. And, you know, there's a lot of good out there. There's a lot of evil and bad out in our world too. But, you know, I think for the most part, people really are good and we, you know, all want the same things out of life. And that's been really, that's been really rewarding to learn that through my writing. So um, that's probably the most common feedback I get. And, you know, also just in writing for um, for girls, I've, I've learned that, you know, one of the biggest issues facing girls today is just friendships. I get a lot of emails about, you know, broken friendships and betrayals and friends hurting other friends. And so that's that's really sad to me. So um, but I try to I try to take those things and I I try to that's what I try to use that as my inspiration of what to write about. And, you know, how to maybe, hey, maybe we can put out some messages on teaching girls how to be better friends with other girls and how to look for good friends. So um, I would say that's the most common feedback I get. People teaching that sixth grade girl how to be better friends. Yes. <laughs> Trying to, yes. Hey, Terry, this is Tammy, and, and since you brought that up, I read the, and we'll get into, for those of you who are just popping in, we'll get into, we're going to cover tonight uh, two of the blogs, uh, well, the book for sure, um, 10 Ultimate Truths Girls Should Know, and then we're going to talk about the 10 uh, mistakes parents make in parenting. But I read the, the article about your daughter, Ella and Annie, and I promise you, I don't know, Rodney, if you got a chance to read it, but it was it was just amazing to see such young, two young girls. I mean, kudos to Annie. And if you wanted to share a little bit about that story, maybe we can get them back on one night to talk about that because I think a lot of our, many of our girls need to hear that story and understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And I like how you tied it back to if we be better mothers, better friends to our friends, allow our, our children to see that, um, it, it does show that our children mimic what they see in, in most cases. So tell us a little bit about that story, if you don't mind, before we get into the topics that we were going to discuss tonight. Sure. That story, uh, my daughter Ella is now in the sixth grade, but it was when she was in the fourth grade. She wanted. To, she got in my car, it was on a Monday, and said, Mom, I'm going to run for student council in my class. And I was like, great, honey, that's wonderful. And she said, you know, all the girls in my class are running, and one boy. And I'm like, okay, in my head I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, so – so I tried to. I was like, "Oh, well, that's wonderful! I'm encouraging her. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you for trying out." And you know, I, I put in the message that you know, all the girls vote might be split. You know, the boy, the boys, the the guy running might have an advantage just because you know he's the only boy running. But you know, whatever happens, I'm just glad that you're putting yourself out there and doing this. And um, you know, good for you. So anyway, it turned out our neighbor Annie was also running for for student council. So the next day when Ella got in the car and she's like, she goes, well, there's a problem. You know, we've got to give a speech on Friday in class to run for student council, but we'd already planned the speech trip. It was a big family beach trip that we'd planned for months. 
and she knew we were going to the beach on Friday and wouldn't be there. And so she said that, um, so she's like, I won't be there to give my speech. But she said, Annie has a solution. And like I said, Annie was also running for student council against Ella. And the solution Annie had was for Ella to videotape her speech and, and show the teacher could play that for the class. So they suggested that to the teacher. The teacher said that was fine. And so I was just so touched that Annie even thought of that, you know, especially since Ella was running against her. So anyway, so we videotaped the speech. We sent it to the teacher. I really didn't think much about it. And then on Friday, we were at the beach, and it was about 3 o'clock. Uh, I got an email from Ella's teacher saying, congratulations. You know, Ella, um, Ella won the student council uh, vote for our class. I'm so proud of her, all that. So anyway, we were happy, and we were, you know, celebrating with Ella. And probably 10 minutes later, I get a call from my friend Mary Carson, and that is Annie's mom. And she has just this voice of pure joy. She's so excited. And she was like, congratulations to Ella. We are so excited. And she said, when Annie got in my car after carpool, that was the first thing she told me. She was so excited that Ella won. So, again, I was so touched because, you know, here was this girl that she wasn't upset about her, her that she had lost. She was excited that her friend had won. And what I, my, the point I make in my article, like I said, I have four daughters. So I know a lot of girls and I know a lot of moms of girls. And I, I meet a lot of people through my children. And I, I made the connection. I was like, the reason Annie thinks like that is because her mom thinks like that. You know, her mom is the most least competitive person on earth. She's just very loving and compassionate. And, you know, Annie's just a reflection on, of that. And the point I made in the article is that that is the when my girls bring home these sweet little friends, the one thing they all have in common are these sweet moms who are very much like them. And so my point in the article is we talk about mean girls and, you know, girls being mean to each other in the locker room. But, you know, the truth is, you know, the kindness starts at home. That's where they learn, learn kindness, not at school but at home. Because, you know, when we're showing that, when we're reflecting that at home, they pick up on our habits and our behaviors and our mindsets. And it was really interesting. I wrote that article. I felt good about it, but I, I never expected it to take off like it did. It, it got, you know, it went viral and got a lot of shares on Facebook and Pinterest. And it was just neat to see how many people related to that story and how many moms said, yes, this is the same thing I see too in my, when in my parenting journey, that, you know, sweet, sweet kids didn't have really sweet moms and sweet parents, fathers too and how it, just the influence of the parental impact at home. And the name so, of the article is Raising a Kind Daughter. So for those of you who are, who are looking for the article, it's Raising a Kind Daughter. And we will make sure that everyone has uh, the website again, but it is listed on Facebook and on Butterfly Evolution uh, radio blog. But we will make sure that you have all of that information again before um, ending tonight. Go ahead, Ronnie. I'm sorry. Um, I have a question, uh, uh, Terry. Um, so when, what would you say to the parents, who, uh, to the moms who, who say that, you know, their daughter is not like them, their daughter is more like their fathers? Um, I know, um, uh, I know mm -hmm. you just said, you know, uh, the daughter, uh, tends to think like the mom or act like the mom, but what do you say to the moms who say, well, you know, my daughter. It, my daughter isn't kind, but you know, I'm a nice person. She gets that from her father. What can that mom do? What would you say to the mom? You know, I, I just think that I think as parents, we we can only do the best that we can do. And you know, there's no guarantee. I, you know, I'm not I'm not a kind person all the time. I try to be, but you know, there's no guarantee. Even if we are kind all the time, that our children will turn out kind because there are obviously exceptions to that. But I do think that, you know, 
the things that our, that our kids pick up at home, you know, really can impact them. And, um, you know, and if, if somebody has a child that's not very kind, I think sometimes when children are not as kind, they tend to be maybe they're not as sensitive as other children. And I have some, some one of my two of my children are more sensitive than the other two. And for the two who aren't as sensitive by nature, you know, I kind of have to work with them a little bit more, saying, you know what, you know, what you just said to somebody that might not hurt your feelings, but that that would probably hurt somebody else's feelings. That's sensitive. And so I think there's a lot of education that you can do that with the child, just knowing, you know, what their natural temperament is. And if they're not, you know, if they're not that kind by nature, then maybe just try to help them just be aware of, you know, how there's a nice way to say everything. And then um, as one of my daughter's teachers says, she, she has this thing called think it or say it, you know, and I've started doing that with my daughters. Okay, like, do you want to think that thought or do you want to say that thought? Because, you know, sometimes there are things that they might be true, but is it really necessary to say it? So, you know, I think that that's our job as parents is just to, to lovingly guide them and, you know, do this gentle correction when we can, that if we see that they're they're not very, being very kind or if we know that, you know, it's like now's our chance while they're young and while they're under our roof to at least plant those seeds that will hopefully, you know, take root at some point. Okay. 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 All right. And, um, Lightning, I, I got a message that it sounds like you're, I don't know if you have your speaker on, um, but it sounds like you're kind of muffled out on some of the on some of the um, comments and questions. Uh, let me see if I can fix that. Okay. Is it better now? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if um, one of our listeners is texting me. So if you don't mind, let let me know if that is better on your end. It's better on my end as well. I thought maybe it was just my end, but um, if you don't mind, text me again and let me know that. If it changed. And what um, I'll do, Tammy, um, there, there's a comment in the chat room, so uh, I'll read that, and, and and that way they can kind of hear me talk for a little okay. bit. Um, okay. And it says uh, they were asking, uh, first they were asking how uh, Carrie got started uh, with writing the columns and everything, and I talked about how um, she went over that at the beginning and kind of uh, I, um, explained that, and if Carrie wants to, uh, elaborate more. She she's more than welcome. Um, and then it, there was a question about whether or not uh, she reached out to the newspapers to um, uh, begin writing the columns, or the day, or did they discover her um, her writing um, and uh, come at uh, and then seek after her? And then it says she said the keyword education. The parents' job is to educate their children on who to be, how to be, how to treat others, sensitivity, education, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. Awesome. What should I? Where should I start? Wherever you like. <laughs> wherever you, wherever you like. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll share. I love to talk about my writing journey. I'll start there just because um, – like I had a lot of rejection along the way and a lot of disappointment and a lot of frustration and wanting to quit. And I think those are all feelings people can relate to because, you know, anything worth doing in life, you know, I think that you're going to have those roadblocks and obstacles along the way. But as far as um, when I got my newspaper column, 
trying to remember how long I had been writing at the time. I'd been writing for about three years seriously before it before a door ever opened, and I I was writing fiction mainly. I would write it at night, and I was querying agents, and um, you know, thinking I would get picked up by a publisher, and got tons of rejection, and nothing was working out for me. And it was really frustrating, but you know, I'm just a big believer that when you, if you are passionate about writing or art or whatever it is you're passionate about, I'm just a big believer there's a reason for that. And the one thing I knew about writing was that there was nothing else I liked to do as much as I liked to write, but I could just do it for hours at a time and get lost in it. So um, I've been doing it about three years, and I'd started telling my friends about it, which was a hard step because sometimes you're, you're, hard, you're scared to tell people what you really want because, you're, you know, if it doesn't work out or if doors don't open, you're just you're kind of it's embarrassing, you know, embarrassing to have those rejections. But, you know, it was good that I told my friends about it, and this is why, how I think God works. This is how it's worked out in my life. So I told my, started telling my friends about it, how I had this passion for writing. I'd really been doing it a lot at night. My dream was to be a published author and all of that. So that was kind of the first big step for me. And as it turned out, um, one day out of the blue, and it was right after I'd had my fourth baby, and I thought my writing dreams will have to go on the shelf for a while because, you know, I won't be able to write with these all these little kids. I won't be able to be a published author, all this. And I had a friend that called me. And she said that she that she had just received word that they were going to start a new paper in our community, and she was asked to be the editor. And she said, "I need I need somebody to write a column for the paper, and you're the first person I thought of." And at the time, we had no idea what this paper would entail, but we knew it was a monthly publication, and that appealed to me because it wasn't like a weekly commitment I had to meet. So anyway, um, so this she, she asked me if I wanted it. I said, yes, that sounds great. So that's how the newspaper column came about. But, you know, I, I like to say, you know, I put in, I, I, I'd been writing for three years by that point, and a lot of it was just the timing. You know, I'd been, you know, I just kind of was trusting that at the right time a door would open. So that was the first door that opened. And what that allowed me to do, I, I started writing for my community, and that was a great place to start because I think writing for the people that you know and that know you, they're very warm and they, you know, you see them out and they're very positive and encouraging. And that was exactly what I needed to continue doing it. And what I tell writers now, you know, it's so different now than when I started. When I started writing eight years ago, social media didn't exist. And today, there's social media. People can build followings and platforms on social media. And that's actually how I got my book deal was a blog post that went viral on Facebook and it caught the attention of a publisher. So, you know, today, um, I mean, you know, there's so many other avenues for writers or somebody that wants to grow a following or, uh, you know, have a book published and, and try to build a, build a following that way to do it online, to start a Facebook page or to start blogging, start a website and have a blog and just start putting your messages out there. So that's what I really encourage writers to do. If you've got that passion, you know, don't – you want to wait. I mean, you want your writing to be at a good point when you start sharing it. But I also don't want, you know, you don't want to hold back for so long out of fear that it won't be received, that you never do anything to work toward that goal. So that that's how it worked out for me. It started with a friend that opened a door for me at the right time, and then the book deal resulted from um, a few years later I started a Facebook page and a blog and started using my website and had some blog posts go viral, and that's what led to a book deal coming about. This is Tammy. How how has it helped you as a parent? And then we'll get right into the the, the uh, topic that we're going to discuss: the book, and then the ten mistakes that parents make in parenting. How has it helped you as a parent and your daughters? How has it helped your relationship in your household? Being a writer. Being a writer of or. this job with with four daughters and writing about. Parenting and God being the writer for teen and tween girls, 
How has and having four girls? How has that helped your relationship? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is that they can be part of it. You know, they can be part of this journey. And it's just been it's just been neat. And even in those years when I was getting a lot of rejection and ne- my writing was not going anywhere, there was a part of me that was always thankful that my daughters were seeing that. You know, they saw me having to work hard, and they saw me getting rejected, and they were praying for me all along. And so I'm really thankful that they were, they've always been part of my writing journey, and they, they saw how hard I worked before anything ever started happening. And I wanted them to see that because I know that's, that's a lesson I felt like they could apply to their life, especially as they grow up and start chasing their own dreams. And then, um, you know, but for a long time, like I said, I was writing for parents. But it really became rewarding when I started writing for teen and twin girls because this is this is their friend group and this is their audience and this is the you know what they're about to go into. So it's been fun because now I can go I go and speak to their Bible clubs, you know. So and all their friends have my book and they are they have girls in our community that um you know that know them because they've read my book or they read my blog and so or I'll go to a speaking event and I'll take my daughter with me and she's getting to meet you know other fourth grade girls who live in Raleigh, North Carolina or just wherever. So that's what's been really fun is I can I can really intersect my family life and my writing life and um and they can kind of be part of that. So they think they think that's neat. And then probably the other thing is just the feedback that I get. What I learn as you know as I'm writing for teen and twin girls, you know, I have a lot of moms email me and share stories and just tell me about, you know, what's going on and so I feel like it gives me a good pulse of what the reality is for girls today. And especially I love hearing from the moms that are ahead of me in the game with, you know, high school daughters and college-age daughters and them telling me what's to come because I feel like it's helping me hopefully, you know, at least give my girls a heads up on what's coming and what what things that they're likely to face that I probably would not have known about if I wasn't on this journey myself. Okay, okay. All right. Well, before we get into the topic, any other questions before we move into, I guess we'll go, let's do the book first if you don't have any questions before that. Well, I I just want to say as a a writer myself, Tammy, um, and for anyone else out there who's listening who is a writer, uh, that that is just motivation and and, and a very inspiring story just because uh, if you are a writer uh, or if you're an actor, whatever it is that you do, um, where you have mm-hmm. to pretty much rely on someone else, uh, you have to rely on an agent, you have to rely on people uh, to follow you, to support your work, it takes time. It It, it is not an over overnight thing. Um, I published my first book in 2012, and I'm still um, waiting on on that very special day when when I get a book deal. But what what I have learned along the way is that you're going to uh, get um, a number of opportunities, um, and they may not be the one that you're looking for, but you never turn them down because you never know who's listening. You never know who's watching, and so I'm grateful for the experiences that um, that I've had. Um, but just like any other author, um, uh, just like any other author, it's frustrating, you know, because you want someone mm. to pick up your work, you want that book deal, um, you want those advanced royalties um, on your book, you want your 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 work to reach a national platform, and and not just because, you know, you're looking for that deal, not because you're looking for money, but just because you feel like you have a compelling story to tell, uh, because you feel like, you know, what it is that you're writing about, what it is that you're passionate about. 
other people mm-hmm. need to hear or probably would enjoy hearing it. So uh, I think that that was great that you shared that, uh, Mrs. Kampakis. Uh, and and I hope that, you know, people listening uh, will, will will definitely take that and run with it. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. what we're going to do now is get out your pen and paper so that you can uh, write down the website. Um, and we're going we're gonna to give that right after. Maybe we'll do a few of the 10 truths girls should know, and then we'll make sure that you have the website. So we want to make sure you have the spelling correct. So go ahead and get pen and paper so that when, when Carrie gives that out, you can write it down this time. So the 10 truths, you, how long has the book been published, Carrie, now? It came out in November. So it's been about, let's see, December, January, February. It's been about four months. Okay, okay. Well, let's go over just a few, and we're going to have you guys go to the website for the remaining, um, because there are 10, and you'll be able to read each Mm -hmm. there and even feedback as well. So truth number one, everything you need to find peace and happiness is inside you. Listen to the quiet whisper of God over the megaphone of public opinion. Tell us about that one, Carrie. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that that I just basically, you know, I I actually gave a talk last night to a group of 6th through 8th grade girls, and, you know, the whole theme of my talk was, I said, it, it all went back to this pen that I saw on Pinterest recently, and it, that pen was, you know the truth by how it feels, and that's one thing I really try to convey to these girls, is, just, you know, you know, there's a reason when you when you do not do, when you sin or when you do something that you know is not right, there's a reason you don't feel good about it, you know, and that's a good thing because if we felt good about going in the wrong direction, we'd ne- never have an incentive to go in the other direction. And so that's one thing I really try to instill in my daughters and these girls that I talk to is just listen to that quiet voice inside you and just, you know, it's okay to be the only person not doing something at a party. And it's okay to just stick to your guns even when everybody else is doing something. And, you know, just realize that, you know, these things that happen in life, sometimes it'll seem like a, you know, that, that might seem like a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. It's, there's, some, there's a bigger plan going on. And an example that I shared recently was that, you know, a few weeks ago I, um, I had this urge to call a friend. It was around lunchtime to call a friend who's been having some health issues recently. And she's very private and doesn't really like, you know, talking about her health issues inside, but learned to kind of tread carefully around it. But I just felt this urge to call her. And I'm terrible about calling friends. I usually am much better at texting. But I just really felt like I needed to call her. And I've learned to trust those instincts. When I have these instincts and I need to do something, um, and that, I think that's what that's that's how you listen to the quiet whispers of God is just trust those instincts that you get. So anyway, so I called her and we just chit chatted for a few minutes about some superficial things, and and then she mentioned you know some of her health issues she was going through, and then you know a few minutes into it she just started she just broke down and started crying, and when she did I just that's when I knew I was like that God put that urge in me to call her because he knew that at this moment, at this time, she needed somebody to talk to. And, you know, God couldn't pick up the phone and call her, so he had to use me to do it. So I try to share stories like that with these girls. It's just those little things in life that can make a big difference in somebody else's life. That, that That's what gives our life purpose and our, our life meaning is listening to those little nudges and those little feelings we have every day instead of, instead of looking for the world to tell us what we need to be doing and how we need to be spending our time each day. This is Tammy. That's why it's so important um, for parents to communicate with, you know, I think at some point parents feel, and, and teenagers as well, feel like 
my mom won't understand, my dad won't understand, and the, the parents, I don't know what we're saying. Mm-hmm. But, but if you sit down and really talk and, and allow the child to feel as if I can express myself, we're having open communication, and I won't be judged, I won't be grounded because we're talking this through and out, respectively, it will work. It may not, you may not get the exact answers that you want, but it opens the door of communication. So, mm-hmm. And it also allows them to hear that, that small, still voice and know who they are. So, okay, well, Rodney, I think you have Right. Uh, yes, I'm going to read uh, truth number two. Uh, pretty girls mm-hmm. are a dime a dozen. Outer beauty attracts attention, but inner beauty is what keeps it. Uh, can you elaborate on that one for us, Carrie? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I tell the girls, you know, this is relevant at every stage and age of life. But, you know, the world just they puts so much focus and so much emphasis on beauty. And, you know, beauty and appearance is really the quickest way for a girl to get noticed. And that's true whether she's 15 or 50. And so especially for young girls, you know, it's really easy to put so much energy and effort into their appearance that they're, you know, they're putting more time into their exterior than they are their interior. And so that's one thing I try to teach these girls is that, you know, that outer beauty fades. And that outer beauty, it might attract attention, but that's not what's going to keep people in your life. You know, it's not what's going to keep a boy interested in you. It might, might you know, get you boyfriends quickly, but they might not hang around very long if there's not much substance inside. And in my book, I compare it to, you know, when you're out shopping, right? And, you know, I think this is something girls can relate to. You, when you're out shopping, I compare it when you're, store, you're looking at storefront windows. And, you know, there are some stores that have a great display in the window, just eye-catching, they pop, everything. And you cannot wait to go in those stores and see what's inside. But is it not the most disappointing feeling when you see this great exterior and you go inside and the store is really empty or kind of cold or it's just one of those environments that you don't want to stay there? You know, it's not looking good on the outside is not going to be enough to keep the person there for very long. But, you know, meanwhile, you know, think about when you have a, an exterior that, you know, catches your eye. It might not be the prettiest one on the street, but, it, you know, you're like, oh, that's interesting. You go in there, and then the inside is even better than the outside, and that you're like, wow, you know, that's what keeps a person there. So that's how I compare beauty. You know, for somebody, you know, it's, it's that substance that really matters, and that's what leads to good relationships and solid relationships. And, you know, I also talk about in that chapter – you know, you know, girls, you know, think about we're, we're all going to die one day. And, you know, what is it that you want people talking about at your funeral? You know, are, are they going to be talking about how you had the best abs on the cheerleading squad or the whitest teeth? You know, I hope not. You know, hopefully that when you, you know, we go, what people will think about us and remember about us are the way we lived our life and how we touched their heart and what we did in our time here on earth, just those, those intangible things that aren't visible. You know, they have so much more of a permanent legacy than anything we can see. So, you know, obviously it's important for us to take care of ourselves and take care of the one body we're given and, you know, be be smart about that and wise and nurture it. But I think it's really easy for girls especially to put so much time and energy into our parents that we can neglect, you know, what really matters most. Well, if you think about um, – if you think about uh, – TV and radio. Um, one one of the most popular shows now is, is Empire, and um, and also Scandal, but it seems like more so Empire now. Um, and everyone, everyone, everybody wants to be Cookie. Everybody wants to be like Cookie. Everyone, everybody wants <laughs> to uh, uh, portray that image. And, and there's there's so much conversation going on, um, even with teenage girls 
about what they see on mm-hmm. TV, which plays a part into mm-hmm. uh, into their lives and how they feel about themselves and, and what it is that they want to do. How do you think uh, parents should monitor um, what their what their daughters are taking in, what their daughters are seeing, what their daughters are hearing? Uh, because ultimately those things tend to play out in their lives. Right. And, you know, I think I'm learning, you know, the older my daughters get, the harder it is to monitor what they see. And, you know, just because they can be anywhere. And, you know, I've learned, you know, even I'm a Christian and just trying to pursue a Christian lifestyle. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to get it with just listening to the radio and walking around day to day. I'm, I'm not going to get, you know, what I need in my soul by just turning on the radio or just watching TV at night. I've got to specifically seek it out, whether it's going to church or reading the Bible or, you know, listening to worship music. And I think with with our daughters, what I really try to think about with my daughters is, you know, you have to just prepare them to, you know, to to handle reality and understand reality, but know what matters and to know the truth in that reality and to be, you know, in the world but not of the world. So, you know, like what I try to do with my daughters, my goal is to help them discern is really the big word, is, you know, discern right from wrong. Say, you know, this might be what's popular on TV, and these, you know, these people might all be cheating on TV. You know, this might be okay to have that kind of relationship. But, you know, just because this is popular in pop culture, that doesn't mean it's right. You know, here's the truth, and here's what what God says about that kind of situation, and then here's what our world will tell you. So I think that's the most important thing is just to be able to give them that filter where, you know, they know that that they see beyond what they're, seen in their daily lives and hearing on the radio and watching on TV because it's hard. I mean, they're, you know, they're not going to learn about God just if we don't make an intentional effort to, you know, teach them to look bigger and broader beyond what's just um, on the beaten path. Wow. All right. Go ahead and give out the website again so that, um, and if you don't mind, spell the last name, so or spell all of it if you don't mind, so our listeners can write that down so that they'll be able to go back and listen to, or I'm sorry, look at all of your website and the the items that we're talking about tonight. Okay. My website is it's com and that is K-A-R-I, and then K-A-M-P-A-K-I-S.com. Okay. Okay. And let's look at truth number three. People peak at different times of of life. Trust God's plan for mm-hmm. you. We'll elaborate more on that one. Yes. Well, you know, we have the saying, my mom always said this, and I have some friends that I say it to my daughters and my friends say it to their daughters, but we always say you don't want to peak in high school, you know, and you don't want to peak in junior high. You know, if you were, if you were peaking early in life, then something's wrong, you know, because – what tends to make what tends to make someone popular in junior high is usually being in the fast crowd and making choices that will not serve them well in the long run. So you know, and I have found that that particular message in the book has really brought girls a lot of peace. You know, because especially at the junior high age, I mean, you know, the world tells them that the goal is popularity, and that is like the worst goal on earth that they can pursue. And that's one of my other truths: is kindness is more important than popularity. But, um, you know, as far as people peak at different times in life, I think it's just really important. And Rodney was talking about just the rejection, and we, you know, we understand that as writers, just that the downtime in life, when, the, when we're in those slumps and we're just waiting for something good to happen, you know, it all serves a purpose. And, you know, we just got to understand that people peak at different times in life. And 
nothing that happens to us is a waste. You know, it all plays into our story somehow, and it can be, all be used for good. And a lot of times, it's the hard things we go through and the disappointments we go through. Those are what those are what are building resilience in us and building character and just helping prepare us for better things to come. Only we can't see that yet because we don't know what's ahead of us. And I, I think that's what's really neat about. Um, you know, just faith is just, you know, trusting in advance what will only make sense looking when you look back. And I think about that with these, you know, the girls that I'm trying to minister to that I think what makes it so hard for them is they don't have a lot of history to look back on. You know, as an adult, we can look back on our lives, and I can look back on those times when I thought something was over. I thought, you know, the life was over, you know, something terrible had happened, and then something even better, a better door opened for me. And so, you know, those are those are the things in life that build trust and build faith in what God's plan for you. So, that's what I try to teach girls is, you know, just trust in God's plan for you. You know, it, it, you don't want to peak when you're in high school or junior high, you know, and then kind of fizzle out the rest of life because the point in life is to get better with time. And, you know, in high school we're version 1.0 of ourselves and the college version 2.0. But, you know, if we're growing like we're supposed to be, we're going to keep getting better and better. We're not going to stay at version 1.2, 1.0 or 2.0. We'll keep growing and getting better. So, um, but like I said, that, that, that message has brought a lot of girls peace just to know that it's okay if they're not the most popular girl in school right now. And it's okay if they just aren't loving their life in junior high, you know? So, um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, let's go to truth. Number four. I, uh, I really like this one. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Otherwise you'll mm-hmm. never stick to your guns. Yes. Yes. And I think that is, I mean, all of these messages, you know, I wrote this book for teenagers, teen and tweens, but it applies to everybody at every stage of life. And like I I did the talk last night and I was telling the girls that, you know, it's okay to be the only person in the room not doing something, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I told them, you know, you you will probably face a time that you may may make a pact with your friends that, you know, we will never drink or we'll never do this, and then you'll be at a party, and you'll look over, and your friend is breaking the pact, you know, and you've got to make a decision, you know, that even if you are standing alone, you know, even if you're the only person not doing something or, you know, falling into peer pressure, that you're willing to stick to your guns, and and I told them, too, I was like, you know, even as parents, I think that I'm learning that the older my kids get and the deeper into the parenting journey I get, that you've got to be willing sometimes to be the only parent not doing something, and you're not judging anybody or, you know, you're, you just basically have to accept that everybody parents differently and everybody has different rules. And, you know, what's okay for one parent might not be okay for you. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to be the only parent standing your ground on something and your child's mad at you because all their friends are getting to do it and they can't. But it's the same thing. You know, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable and, and being true to yourself and what, what you believe is true and right for your family and for yourself. I think that there are there are a number of mothers that that could benefit from from your work and, and just from hearing you speak, uh, because as a teacher, parents come in all the time, and it seems like they 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 have this fear of uh, their children being mad at them, their children being upset with them. Uh, they're more interested mm-hmm. in their child's friend than they are their parent, and so. Uh, mm-hmm. It just creates a lot of issues down the line when they when they want to be a parent or when they decide that they are going to, uh, you know, finally try to do things to help their children be successful. And it's like, wait a minute, well, we haven't done that all all along. So why are you trying to be the brand new person now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Right, exactly. And that that column that I did, the ten mistakes parents make today, that is exactly what I talked about in one of the points that you know trying to be our child's BFF is a mistake that's very common among parents today. And I totally get it, you know, because we who wants to have their child mad at them? You know, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to, yep. you know, stand your ground sometimes when you know. But, I, you know, the, the theme of that whole article was, you know, love wants what's best for a person long term. You know, it's not just a short-term gratification. And I do believe as parents, you know, that's, our, that's what we bring to the table. We have that, that history of life and that knowledge and that expertise. And we know we can see things that our kids can't always see, you know. And, and we, we should know better, you know. We should know that. Sometimes we've got to make hard decisions that they might not understand at age 15, but when they're 25 or 30, they'll be like, wow, you know, now I get it. You know, I really respect my parents for doing that. And, you know, anybody, and I think it leads to stronger relationships later on, you know. And um, and one big point I make in this article that I really thought that, that really struck me were some articles that I'd read, and it said, you know, what, what makes a child happy or person happy at age 15 or 16 is totally different than what's going to make them happy at age 25, 30, 35, 40. So with my parenting, especially as my kids get older, I really try to think about, okay, what kind of adult do I want them to be? You know, do I, do I, you know, I'm at the stage of life now, I'm 42, and you're just seeing people go through some hard issues and hard things. And, you know, I want them to be the kind of adult that can handle these hard things because they're going to happen to all of us. And so, you know, how can, what can I do now that helps build that resilience in the character? And so it just, it changes your parenting paradigm. You know, if you think, you know, sometimes, you can't just let them, you know, say if they forget their math homework at school. You know, you're not doing them any favors if you keep going back to the school every day and getting their homework for them and not teaching them that responsibility that it's their job to bring that homework home. So, like, you know, with my kids, I try to offer grace period maybe one or two times they forgot their homework. I tell them, okay, I'll go back and get it this one time, but you do it again, I'm not going back, you know. And and we have teachers. We have, um, you know, teachers often say that. We've had a voice coach last year. She's like, you know, if your child forgets their music at home, don't bring it. You know, they they only do it one time, and that teaches them the lesson, and then they learn the responsibility. So that's something that I think, you know, uh, teachers and people who work with kids easily get, but it's hard for parents to do. Let's get uh, number. I think you've already touched on the number seven from um, the common mistakes parents make today. You've touched a bit on that, so we'll we'll move forward on that one. But number eight, and we're on um, the common mistakes parents make today. Number eight is living vigorously through our children. Um, Yes, and, you know, I think it's just about living vicariously through our children that sometimes that, you know, we – as it's easy to see our children as a sec as our second chance, you know, and maybe we weren't the most popular person in high school, but we want our child to be popular. And I, I hear about this a lot. You know, a lot of parents, I hear this from just in the mom circles that I've, I've heard this a lot lately. People will say the older your kids get, parents you think you're on the same page with, you'll see that you're not. And how sometimes they'll allow their kids to, to hang out with a fast crowd or, you know, hang out with a wild crowd because they want them to be popular, you know. And I think think that's an example of how parents can live vicariously through their children, you know, that you're maybe there was some unmet need you had in high school that, you know, you want them to be popular, but, you know, you're letting them risk their physical well-being or their emotional well-being for that short-term gratification. But, you know, obviously the, um, it also could be, the you know, the, the dad who, you know, gets so worked up over his son who's on the second-grade baseball team and, you know, the son strikes out and the father just leaves the whole ball field in a huff, you know, huffing and puffing and just so angry at his child. I think that's living vicariously through your child, you know. 
and that makes me so sad. I just think those that that happens a lot in this day and age. That you know sometimes we're so invested in our children, and we you know we buy, we get them these coaches and these trainers, and you know obviously we want them to be their very best. But I think there's also a fine line that we've got to realize. You know what are their dreams, and you know we've got to where do we where do they end and where do we begin? And we're you know they are not an extension of us. They are their own little person. And as a parent, we've got to you know see that, and just it's our job to help you know to guide them and help them through the highs and lows and if they if they win that's great and if they they lose just you know encourage them through that that failure and you know help them you know move on and make something good of it but i do think that it's it's we just live in a day and age where parents a lot of parents do live vicariously through their children and you know their when their children succeed you know then they're very happy and then their and their children fail they you know pout and treat them differently and I, it just makes me really sad for the children that they think that the love from a parent is conditional like that I've heard some adults say that uh, that they started out loving a particular you know activity, um, but then because their parents wanted them to do it so badly, um, you know they found mm-hmm. themselves always at rehearsals. Uh, parents, that's all they wanted to talk about, and so because of that, uh, they found themselves hating. Um, that particular activity. Um, I knew a young lady um, several years ago who was interested in playing the piano, but because her dad Mm -hmm. pushed it on her so much, she eventually got to a point where, you know, when she no longer had to play the piano, uh, she she didn't touch one for years just because um, her dad forced it on her instead of, you know, letting her learn um, how to play it, and, 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 and gaining her own love um, for playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's so true, and I, and I understand the temptation on the parents' end because obviously, you know, I love to write, and as I said, I really didn't discover my passion for it until late in life, so there's a part of me that wants one of my girls to discover that passion early on because I'm thinking, wow, I could really help them, and I could mentor them and all this. And so it's funny because, you know, like I have a daughter, you know, they're all great writers. And I was telling one, oh, you really should, you should start a blog. You're a great writer. I don't like to write. You know, part of me is like, I want to push it. Like, yes, you do. You're a great writer. But that's, that's a part of me trying to live vicariously through her, you know, and I've got to kind of separate myself from her and not push my dreams on her and not try to, you know, push my, you know, think, well, just because she has a talent for it or the knack for it doesn't mean that I need to, be pushing her in that direction. That needs to be something that you know she she discovers the love for it herself. But um, but yeah, I do think I think it's a I think it's something that any parent can fall into the trap. You know that we can, and sometimes we can justify it as oh we're just trying to help them or we just want them to, you know, to start off earlier than we did or be better at it than we were. But you know I think I think that's what's good for parents to have their own dreams and their own goals to pursue, so they're not channeling that energy in the wrong way to their child. But you were talking about that the girl with the piano, and it reminds me of the um, the book Open. It was the biography of Andre Agassi, and he mm-hmm. basically the whole book he starts off saying that he hated tennis, like he never liked tennis, but his dad was a big tennis fanatic, and of all the children, he realized that Andre Agassi had the t- the biggest talent. And so when he was a little boy, he'd have to hit like a thousand tennis balls a day, and just he hated it, but his dad would make him do it. And so he had this like hate love hate relationship with tennis his entire life, and it was just it was a fascinating book to read. And but it was also sad. You're like, wow, you know, somebody that dedicated all those years and hours to something he really didn't even like, but it really was 
it was pushed by his father. But you know, from the outside, you would never know that because he was so successful. Yeah, he he was a he was a great tennis player. Let's look at mistake number nine, which I think is a a, a great segue into mistake number ten. Uh, but mistake number mm-hmm. nine says uh, believing your children are perfect, and then um, I, uh, I really like this quote. It says it's easier to deal with a troubled child than to repair a broken adult. Can you uh, explain that one for us? Yes, you know that um you know that that point that believing our children are perfect i have got i basically I, I was led to that conclusion because I'm friends with a lot of teachers and psychologists and people who work with children, so I'm sure that you fall into this category too. but one thing I hear just time and time again that you know teachers are like you know parents today don't want to hear anything negative about the, their children, and it's just it's even when you're trying to voice a concern out of love you know they they shoot the messenger. And so, um, you know, because they don't want to hear it. And I think it's gotten worse. You know, I think it's gotten worse. And even teachers that I know that have been teaching for 30 years, they're like, it's gotten worse in the last five or ten years that, you know, parents are just so quick to, you know, get angry. And it's really sad because you talk to psychologists and psychiatrists, they're like, it's, you know, it's so much easier to help a child, to help a person if they do have an issue, when that issue is small and when they're a teenager because they're resilient and you can change the whole trajectory for their life if you get them that early intervention or if you nip a problem in the bud. But yet, you know, if you don't if you don't deal with it early and, you know, sometimes if a parent's fighting it, then they're not going to deal with it early and the person lives with that issue or that problem, you know, it becomes a lot harder to deal with and to change when they're 30, 40, or 50 years old. So, you know, that that's the point of that. You know, it's easier to deal with a troubled child than repaired, broken adult. You know, these the, when somebody's having trouble as an adolescent, you, you have a lot you're a lot more likely to make a positive impact on their life when they're young and before the the problem has gone on for too long than if nobody ever, you know, addresses the problem and it just becomes part of their identity and something that's really hard to change. Okay, well I know that we're coming up on, on an hour, but I want to really get this last one in and then then have you give any final comments and tell them again how to get the book and, and everything. But number ten, worshiping our children. Tell us about that one. <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's something I catch myself doing and I see it happening all around me and I just I think it's part of this again, this age of parenting where we are we're so intentional about our parent, our children, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, the issue isn't about, you know, getting food on the table and providing like them, like maybe past generations, but in this day and age, we're worshiping our children, and it's just, you know, and I think it, it's sad sometimes we, we talk about them being spoiled and entitled, but then you've got to think that in many ways we create that as parents, you know, we we center our lives around them, and, you know, you I've heard about a lot of um, priests, priests and preachers saying that, you know, attendance at church is down on Sundays because so many kids are traveling. You know, they're having these baseball tournaments on Sunday morning instead of going to church. You know, we're, we are centering our lives around our children, whereas I think our parents' generation is, you know, children more fit into their parents' life. And, you know, you had your priorities that, you know, we're not going to miss church on Sunday morning. You know, we'll, we'll go to, we can have the, the game in the afternoon or play on a team that doesn't play during church service time. But, you know, like I said, I just – I think it can be um, – it's a real fine line because we all love our children so much, and, it, and it's hard not to indulge them and to not make them the, the center of the universe. But, you know, God didn't create our children for them to be the center of the universe. He didn't create our children for us to worship them. You know, he is supposed to be the center of our family and the center of our world, and, you know, our children play into that. So, you know, we're supposed to love our children and not worship them. 
but I think that that is just something that, you know, in this day and age, we can we can say that that's good parenting by, you know, putting our children first all the time and, um, you know, just making them the center of our existence. But it's not always, you know, it's not the healthiest way to live. Carrie, this is Tammy, and I know somewhere I believe I read where, and I guess what I'm asking here is what do you think, you've listed these ten things, and I'm sure there's more, but what do you think this is this is leading to? I, I think I read somewhere where um, you talked about a number, a great number of 20-year-olds. It's determined that many 20-year-olds are truly depressed in spite of coming from, and I mm-hmm. hope that was your article I read somewhere, in spite of coming from all of this, all of the worshiping, all of um, these things that we talk about right. today, believe you're perfect. Was that one of your articles I read? I believe so. Yes, and and really, this was it was a book I read, and it, the book had led me to some articles, and it, it's really what changed my whole parenting paradigm to make me think, who, hey, what kind of adult do I want my child to be? You know, looking beyond the here and now. But it said that psychiatrists today are seeing a trend in these twenty-something-year-olds that you know are coming in depressed, and they don't know why. And they say their parents are their best friends. Nothing tragic or really bad has ever happened to them. They had a magical childhood. You know, really, they've had a great life, and yet they're depressed. And what they're finding in a lot of cases is that their parents made their life too easy for them. You know, their parents, if there was an obstacle, the parents just removed it. You know, if the the teacher was trying to address a concern, the parents just shot the teacher down, you know, or if the child kept leaving their math homework at school, they just went and got their math homework. And, um, you know, but what it does is what happens is these kids go out into the real world and they can't handle the normal adversity that just comes with life and they can't handle the stress of life because they never were able, they were never, they never had to handle the stress because their parents made life too easy for them. And it talked about how a lot of college administrators now, you know, call some of these students teacups. You know, they come to college and they're teacups. They're so fragile. They can't handle just normal life events and minor setbacks. And it's because they were never given that experience growing up to deal with adversity and to deal with hardships because our parents paved the way and made the road too easy. Wow. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, the, the gist isn't to, to intentionally make our children's life hard, but it's to, you know, teach them that, you know, sometimes that disappointments and letdowns and unmet expectations, those are all part of parts of life, and to teach them how to deal with those things in healthy ways and to, you know, to keep pressing forward and to, um, you know, not take, you know, not see failure as the end of your story, but part of your story. That's another one of my big messages for girls. You know, failure isn't the end of your story. It's part of your story. But just, you know, and it's really, that's what builds self-confidence is when you do have some kind of adversity or some kind of setback and you push through it and it's how you feel about yourself when you're on the other side and you can look back and say, wow, you know, I did that. I didn't think I was capable of doing that. You know, that's what leads to character and perseverance and all these um, these virtues and qualities that we really want our children to have, but sometimes you have to learn the lessons the hard way. Mhm, mhm. Well, Carrie, thank you so much, and I know that you you're a mom with four daughters, so we don't want to keep you past the hour that you promised us. And so I thank you. You, as I mentioned in our conversation, open invite anytime here with Rodney and I on the Butterfly Evolution Show and. Any last words that you'd like to, and Rodney and I are going to stay on a little bit, you guys, so if you want to hang tight there, Um, but any last words you want to give our audience, parents, or the young daughters as well? Gosh, you know, just probably, you know, I, I think the one message, I talked about friendship at the beginning, and what I'm really learning in my work, and it's true for especially women and girls today, I just think that, 
there are a lot of people out there who are really struggling with loneliness, and I think we just live in a world where we're all so focused on ourselves and our our dreams and our hopes and our futures, and and um, and I think there there are a lot of people out there who feel lonely or invisible. And I just, you know, I guess I just want to encourage everybody. I, I get the emails. I see what happens behind the scenes. You know, when people are at home and they share to me just the struggles they're facing. It's just, it's really opened my eyes and raised my awareness of just to, um, you know, just to be compassionate and just to live life, you know, instead of thinking, what can the world do for me? What can I do for somebody today? And just don't underestimate what the value of a smile for someone or just being kind to someone or reaching out to someone um, that you've never reached out to before, what that can do for the person. Because like I said, just in the, the work that I do, I, I feel like that's become, that's the biggest need I see out there is just, you know, helping other people in our daily life, you know, feel loved and feel valued and feel seen. Okay. And give out that website one more time. Okay. And my website is com, and that's K-A-R-I, and then K-A-M-P-A-K-I-S.com. Yeah, we encourage you guys to order the book. Um, maybe I'll get with Carrie and maybe we can we can find a way to, um, I don't know, just, Maybe donate, a, give someone a book, give a parent, a mother, who, uh, and a daughter that could maybe read it together. So we'll, oh, we'll yes, do that definitely. out and we'll connect back with yes. you. But Rodney, any last words before Carrie disconnects? You know, this was, this is, this, this, this may have only been an hour, but this was a powerful, life changing hour. And, uh, Carrie, I can't thank you enough for what you have meant to uh, the Butterfly Evolution Show tonight. Uh, I'm definitely going to be um, encouraging uh, mothers um, to listen to this, uh, to our, our archive show uh, with their daughters, with their nieces, with their students, because these are things that young women need to know. Uh, these are things that women need to know. Um, a lot of times, uh, especially with a work like yours, uh, you know, that's uh, targeted, you know, to, uh, where you're targeting young young girls, uh, older women, you know, may feel like, well, what can she tell me or, or what can I learn from this? But I think that whenever you're dealing with the target audience, there's a lot that you can learn. So I think that um, anyone who interacts with young girls, um, should definitely take a look at uh, your work and uh, definitely support you. So uh, let us know if there's anything that we can do um, to to support you, to support your work, um, because I think that, you know, your your, your message needs to um, continue to reach people. And, and I would like to also say, whatever you do, please don't stop writing and please don't stop encouraging young women. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Well, same to you. And, and I meant to ask you, what do you teach? You said you're a teacher. I teach sixth grade math. Okay, great. Well, you, you keep yeah. up the good work, too, because your work is so valuable, and you are having a major impact on their lives at a really, really important time. I do appreciate that, and I, and I will continue to do my best. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank, well, thank you, you very for having me on. This has been a great show, and I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity, and just appreciate all the wonderful questions and the opportunity um, to share my story and just some of the a few of the things I've learned through my work. Okay, and we may be in touch about uh, Ella and Annie. We're gonna have to find a way for them to share their little experience. I loved that story. 
Oh, yes, they would love it. They would love it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And you can, when, when you're ready, you can just disconnect. Okay, great. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Rodney. Have, Have a great a night. night. Take care. Okay. Okay, you too. Guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Rodney, I know you had one one um, favorite there, so I didn't want to disconnect. I know that Carrie had to go. Uh, we kept her a little bit longer than we were supposed to, but I think she was fine. But I, I wanted to hear about your favorite, and maybe I know our audience is still out here and may have some questions, so if you do, go ahead and select the number one. I don't think we, Rodney and I got so caught up we didn't extend that offer much, but you guys know the selection. <laughs> um, I'm telling okay. you, where, where, do you, where, do you, where do you find people like Carrie? Where, where do you find women like Carrie? Because, I mean, she was just on it and yeah. just gave out sound advice, um, and it and it's not anything that, that, that people can't do. And I know uh, some of the things that she said may have sounded simple, may have sounded like common sense, but as we all know, uh, you, Tammy, me, uh, our listeners, I'm sure, as we all know, it's just not happening. And so it's always refreshing to hear somebody like Carrie uh, get on and share uh, just things that, that people should know, things that, uh, that, that mothers should be doing, that wives should be doing, uh, things that husbands and, and, and fathers should be doing. Uh, it's just so refreshing to hear uh, someone else put their uh, spin on it, um, who's gone through uh, the fire, who, you know, as, as a mother, you know, um, you know, has four daughters, so, so she can talk about things that she has seen. Um, someone who, as a writer, um, you know, if, if you're looking to become a writer or if you can't just, if you can't seem to finish that book or finish that blog, like, you know, or if you've been searching for that book deal, like, just understand if you stay with it, one day, you know, your time will come. Uh, you know, it may be you. It may just be God's timing. But, you know, it's just so refreshing to to hear those things. I was really um, – and what what took me to Carrie, what, what um, I guess just was so interesting was the article, uh, The Common Mistakes Parents Make Today. That's what made me reach out to her Um in reading that article, I was just, just, just so taken because, you know, believe it or not, I thank God that, that you know, I, Brandon turned out okay. Still has some areas mm-hmm. as all children, but I saw I saw Tammy in a lot of those mistakes. And, again, um, somewhere along the way, I think I, I must have found some balance um, in some of the areas. If, if I could go back, I would I would make some drastic changes in the way that, that I parent. And I, I know she didn't have this one on here, but I could see this one in, in many of the ones. And I want to briefly go over all of them. I'm not going to go read them. I'm just going to tell you what they are, but we do want you to go to her site and read it. But guilty parenting is one that frequently came up in my mind after the fact, after I was able to see Brandon go off to school. And, and you just start looking back, and sometimes I think even with um, – which one was it? I think um, 
the last one, Rodney number 10, I thought it was. Um, let's see here. Worshiping, number 10, worshiping our children. And I think that's a form of, of guilty parenting as well. Um, you just kind of, especially those broken homes who, particularly mothers, I think do this more than more than men. Men do it as well, but I think mothers do it more than more than men. You know, if we, if we feel like the father is not in the home or um, we did something that has caused this child's life to be different, according to what the world says it should be, then we, we might find ourselves doing that guilty parenting as well. And I found it interesting in that article saying that a great number, an alarming number of 20-year-olds is what it said, are simply depressed. And if, if, if asked why, nothing really went wrong in their life. They have great parents, whether they're together or not, great home, great school. But it's kind of like, you know, why? You, you look at it and you think, why would you be depressed if all these things were great? And I don't think we really prepare them uh, by worship, worshiping them and believing that they're perfect and, and just trying to make life so, so very easy for them. We're not really preparing them for that cruel, cruel world and making them responsible and accountable. And so to hear a parent say this and, and admit, you know, herself that she saw, saw herself in some of these areas as well. So just just interesting and very enlightening, as you said. Absolutely, Tammy. We have a uh, we have a caller. Um, so before I sh- my my favorite one, uh, we're going to take our caller just because I don't want to change the uh, the subject uh, uh, before we uh, he- hear our caller's question or comment. So we're going to pull in area code nine five four, and the last four digits are three three two seven. Caller, you are on the air with us. Hey y'all, this is Dale Davis. Hey, hey, what's up, Dale? Yeah, hey, y'all. Um, I just real quick, I know you uh, guys sound like you're trying to move on and everything. I just wanted to say I listened to the interview. I thought it was awesome. She is uh, so articulate, expressing her point in how everything, you know, should be. And um, I just want to make one quick point. Every single thing she said, was morals, values, and ethics education. Now, I know I tend to make everything sound very clinical, but she does a great job at making everything make sense to regular, ordinary people, a lot better than I probably could ever do. And uh, But I just wanted to uh, make that comment. That's all she did was she just let everybody know that the very basic morals, values, and ethics is what we have to instill in our daughters and kids in general. And that's all I had to say. Well, thank you, Dale. Do you tell them, tell them about what you do and what, what night you're on? Well, uh, just real quick, uh, we got our, you know, I'm founder of the Let's Change the World Movement, uh, which has resulted in the Unlimited Education Project, which is all about morals, values, and ethics education for children and adults. And we've got a radio show every Sunday, at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's on Blog Talk Radio. Um, so just tune in, 7 o'clock on Blog Talk Radio. It's called Let's Change the World. Uh, you can look it up on Facebook. You'll always find the event. Okay. All right. Well, you know, we'll be in touch, and I enjoy listening to your show on Sunday. I did get a, get a chance to listen in, and so it was it was a great show, great feedback. Thank you. Great right. show. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. All right. 
Thank you, Dale. Okay. Always good to hear from you. Yeah. All right. Okay, um, so you number nine. I think is it number nine? number seven. Was it seven for yeah. you? Was your so, I like, uh, so I was looking at uh, uh, number seven for uh, ten truth, ten truth young girls should know. And so number seven says, boys are visual creatures, but clothing choices you make affect the way they see you. And I think that's something that uh, that 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 people either don't think about or. Uh, or um, you know they they they're, they're kind of nonchalant about them, and, and so what Carrie briefly described was that the fashion trends for girls today, and she and this is on her site, it says the fashion trends for girls today are ridiculous. Showing skin is in, and if you ever want a short skirt that shows off your legs or a skimpy top that accentuates your tan. Chances are it's because they make you feel pretty, and I don't think there's enough of uh, people calling out uh, the way uh, men and women dress, but more so women. I think that you know we 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 call out the the boys a lot when they're sagging their pants, uh, but I don't I don't think uh, women are judged as as harshly, uh, and not to say that you know every 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 uh, piece of clothing de- de- deserves a response, but how do you want to be perceived? And you have to remember that males are physical, and you know when a guy approaches you, when a guy steps to you, he doesn't know you. So what he's looking at is what he sees on the outside. So what is it? about your appearance that you want these guys to see, that you want them to uh, take a look at when they see you. So I think that, you know, that's something that we have to be be careful about. Uh, there was a post, uh, a friend of mine that I grew up with, she posted uh, there was a teacher uh, who was kind of uh, uh, being criticized uh, because of an outfit that, uh, she had on, and Tammy, I'll um, I'll tag you in it so you can see what I'm talking about. And I said, you know, regardless of what you wear, uh, you have to consider your audience, and you have to remember, you know, what's your bottom line. If you're there to educate children, then that's where your focus should be. But you also have to keep in mind you are in front of children. Um, and real quickly, uh, before we take our next caller. Um, Rodney, before we do that, I want to I want to comment. So hold off before you pull them in. Okay, and 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 I'll say this here. Here's what here's what I was going to say. Uh, so we have this thing where uh, we are allowed at work to wear jeans once a week, and for every school, for every school system, it's different. When I was in New York, you know, the school I was working at, we were allowed to wear them every day. However, it's rare you see me in jeans on. In fact, the first time I wear jeans, when the kids are present, now it's just the adults on a teacher work day, I'll wear jeans. Uh, I'm not a big fan of them at school or at home or in the street, whatever. I'm not, just not a big fan of jeans. But the first time I'll wear them when the kids are there is usually the day before Thanksgiving. And the reason I do that is because I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with wearing jeans, but I'm very cautious about how my kids perceive me. 
And until things start to settle down, until, uh, you know, I get them into a routine, until, you know, things are going the way I want them to go, which is usually around November, close to December, I try to go in with a shirt, tie on, maybe a suit, maybe a blazer, because I'm very careful. Because there's something about a shirt and a tie that grabs people's attention. And so while I'm trying to set up my, my, my students for success, while I'm trying to establish uh, different things in my class, while I'm trying to get my kids settled in, while I'm trying to teach them, I want to make sure that when they see me, they see me in a professional manner. Um, and that does and again, because I, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way, but there's a difference between a shirt and a tie than jeans, tennis shoes, a sweatshirt, and a T-shirt. There's a huge difference. You know, on, um, on actually on Dale's show Sunday, the, he just kind of had, you know, general topics. You can kind of talk about whatever. And one of the topics that or just what the stuff is, is sagging. And you mentioned, Rodney, which was kind of my thought as well, you know, we're, we're going to address the sagging, but we have a, an alarming number of young girls, uh, way too young in my opinion, with some of the dress that they are allowed to wear. But um, this goes on kind of a twofold thing here. The sagging, if we're going to address the sagging, I'm totally against sagging. Someone also needs to be teaching these little girls how to dress as well. We should be just as offended. And then this goes back to what Carrie said on the show earlier tonight. Um, just as our young girls, one of her truths, and I think it was number four when she said, get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And she mentioned that parents need to be the same way. Parents need to get un- get comfortable with being uncomfortable because when you say no, when you're the only parent that says, no, you will not, no, you cannot, then your your children are going to look at you. They're going to be a little bit angry, and sometimes even parents, because they take the some parents take the easy road. They take the easy way out. You know, they just try to keep the peace, try to appease the kids, and whatever you want, you're going to get, um, so to speak. So I just wanted to bring that up before taking our taking our call. But go through you guys, and and I do want to give out all of the ten common mistakes. I'm just going to name them. Um, we're not going to go through all of them because, again, we want you to go to Carrie's site, and, and there's a great number of posts there that you can read. I mean, she just has a host of blogs and, and articles that you can read, and I think it will be so helpful to you. So we don't want to give it all away tonight. We want you to go over to her site and order the book as well. So let's pull in our caller from area code 253, last four digits, 1345. Call you on the air with us. Hey, Sammy and Rodney, this is Gregory. How are y'all? Good, how about you, man? Hey, I'm just listening. Just want to tell y'all, as always, you guys always have great shows with great topics and different things, and I'm I'm not going to, you know, hold anybody. I just want to say this show is very interesting, and it's, as a, a father of a, you know, three girls, three young women, and and then five boys, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, you know the perceptions and the different things which are out there in society, and you just hit the head, uh, the nail on the head when you talk about this dressing. 
you know, the boys with the sagging pants and, you know, wearing, presenting yourself uh, with the shirt and the tie and then the, the way young women are perceived with the different things that they wear. So I just want to say this is an interesting, you know, topic today, and, and I'm just glad to be listening in. Well, wonderful. Are you okay? Because you, you sound like you, you – we know that you're transitioning out of the military after how many years, 25 plus? Well, after like 20, 27 years, I'll be <laughs> transitioning out of the military. And and uh, it's just been one of those long days. <laughs> Are you having withdrawals already? <laughs> I, I, I think so. <laughs> you sound like you lost your Yeah, he's usually so chipper. I, I think so. I grew my beard, and nobody knows who I am. <laughs> so, I, so I, yeah, I, I have a little change going on here, but uh, I get on the plane Wednesday, and uh, my first stop will be Detroit, Michigan. So I, I'm just looking forward to this transition and, you know, getting back to family and and things like that. So, yeah, this is awesome. Okay. Well, tell um, tell them about what we're doing. We're going to really start advertising. I, I was explaining to you how Memphis works. You can't hit them too soon. Um, you kind of have to hit them a little bit later than sooner. But, but uh, Gregory's going to be here with uh, the conference, Walking in Her Shoes. So tell them about the organization, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, Walking in Her Shoes was established in 2011 after the death of a second relative of mine from a murder-suicide act of domestic violence. And since then, I have been on this crusade to bring awareness out in the opening. Uh, A lot of times people will talk about domestic violence when it happens right then. But then after that, they want to sweep it under the carpet and they don't want to talk about it because... Of, of the stigma that domestic violence carries. And a lot of times people are still shamed uh, to talk about it or to tell someone that they're going through it. So what we do at uh, Walking in Her Shoes is to bring out the awareness. We tell families uh, safe methods to get their uh, loved ones out of harm's way. And so with that, we are going from city to city to bring that awareness about and recently, we have teamed up with uh, Dr. Jewel Tankard from the hit Bravo show, uh, Sicker Than Water. So we have teamed up with her to uh, get the awareness out, and we're also teaming up with um, Lady Princess. She's a gospel recording artist and teamed up with Miss Tammy Gator from the beautiful Butterfly Evolution Show, and so we're just getting the word out there, and what we want to do is create a movement. We don't want nobody to be ashamed to talk about domestic violence, and as our slogan says, no one has the right to love you to death. We'll be walking in Memphis, as the song says, April 18th, so if you can come, come join us, and we'll be glad to have you. All right, and if you just Google walking in her shoes, I know uh, the site, I don't know if you have it on your site yet, uh, Gregory, but it is on Facebook. Uh, I, yes, I did put it out there. The website is walkinginhershoes.org. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at walkinginhershoes and on Instagram at walkinginhershoes. So we're doing a lot of great things, and we just, you know, would like everybody to become more aware of what's going on around them 
three women a day die from domestic violence. That's what the national average is. But really it's more because you have to count in the men who die from domestic violence and the children who die from domestic violence also. So we're talking anywhere from 10 to 15 people a day. So, you know, that is an astounding number to lose on a daily basis to an epidemic that seems to be growing. Right. So if you're listening and you want to connect with Gregory about, you know, maybe sponsoring and having the event come to your, helping out, you know, having the event come in your location, please do look him up, look him up at walkinginhershoes.org. Yes. And so, and like I said, Tammy and Rodney, you guys always give great uh, talk shows and I, and I just love listening. I love listening because every week I learn something different that I can apply to my children. Oh, wonderful. 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 Thank so you I'm so much. Jump, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jump out of queue so you guys can keep it going. All right. Thanks again. We'll see you soon. All right, Sammy. See you later, Ryan. All right, take it easy, man. And and, and be happy. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. This this has been a long twenty seven years and and uh so I, I'm trying to make the adjustment. Uh I no longer am being you know, I don't, you know, I'm not telling folks or directing people what to do as a leader anymore. And I've been sitting home now for the past two months just twiddling my fingers, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, they say it's a huge transition out to the real world, they say. So we'll have to it, pray you it up. Is. Yeah. It is. So I look forward to seeing you. And, Tammy, hopefully we get to talk this week. I will talk we to will. you guys later. I will jump out of queue. Thank you. All righty. All right. Just briefly, and then we'll bring it to a close right now. I just want to briefly just name these, um, the 10 mistakes, the 10 common mistakes parents today make. Um, and, again, won't go into any details, so, so go back on the site and, and look them over and read about each more, each each one more. So, uh, number one, understand Underestimating character. Number two, judging other parents. Number three, forgetting our actions speak louder than words. Number four, raising the child we want, not the child we have. Number five, missing the wonder of childhood. And number six, engaging in competitive parenting. Number seven, let's see here. Wanting to be our child's BFF. Number eight, living vigorously through our children. Number nine, believing our children are perfect. And number 10, which we talked about as well, worshiping our children. So go back and, and look over those because carry those into just great detail. You'll, you'll receive so much more if you go back and read them. Parents, include your children as well. Let them read them and, and let them kind of tell you what their thoughts are about what they're reading. Um, great way to create conversation and understanding in your household. So it starts there. Um, this has just been great. I, I wish I had stuff like this, Rodney. I wish I had things like this or or knew to go look for stuff like this when I was parenting. So I just tell parents, <laughs> take the time. Take the time to, I don't know, to read and kind of, 
I don't know, do better, I guess. Do better. Because it starts at home. It really does start at home. So that's all I that's have. Right. Giving it over to you. I don't I don't think there's a there there's a better way to put it, Tammy. So um I'm just gonna say this and and then we'll log off. Uh first of all, coming out of the chat room, um uh again this is uh this is Dell who is um the uh the 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 sponsor of uh Let's Change the World. Um he is he is very interested in connecting with uh with Gregory um and also um uh Carrie um and anyone else who, who who is doing something to to change the world, some someone who is doing anything uh to promote morals, values and ethics, uh Dale is uh interested in connecting with you. Uh again, Dale is on every Sunday night at seven uh PM if you just uh you can find Dale uh, by going to uh, my Facebook page or Tammy's Facebook page, or you can go to uh, Let's Change the World. Um, he has a great show on every um, every Sunday night at seven o'clock. So, uh, if you're listening um, and you have something that 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 you would like to put out there, something that you would like to discuss, uh, whether it be here on the Butterfly Evolution Show or on Let's Change the World. Uh, please connect with Dale. Um, he is extending that uh, that invitation to you. Um, what a great show. Uh, you know, I, I, I was just sitting here, uh, Tammy, and just uh, just in awe. Uh, you know how I am when it comes to when it comes to parenting, especially uh, when it comes to children, because uh, as I was talking to someone today, I don't think parents realize. Uh, that they are the first teachers. Uh, parents are the beginning of the movement, and, and, and you heard uh, just great advice tonight, and I would encourage everyone, uh, especially if you joined the show late, go back and listen to the entire show um, because you, 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 missed the, you, you missed the classic. You, you missed the classic. Um, but, again, we will be back here. Uh, next Monday, same time, same station. Uh, we have another great show for you, so we hope that you'll join us. Uh, Tammy, if there's nothing else, I'm going to go ahead and start the music. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night, and we'll see you back here Monday, 8 o'clock Central Standard Time. Thanks for your support. Have a great week, everybody, and don't get snowed in. Good night.
Has finally come 